This is an oral history of the Lord's move at Gonzaga University in the late 1970s. It's a story of what can happen when a group of young men are captured by the enjoyment of their human spirit and the truth of the ground of the church. The following is an opening testimony from Scott Finney, a basketball player at Gonzaga, who would receive Christ, come into the church life, and joyfully bring the gospel to everyone around him. As a result of Scott's overflow, a nucleus of students would eventually be saved, begin enjoying the Lord, and together impact their campus for God's eternal purpose. Here Brother Scott begins by describing his upbringing amidst the social upheaval of the 1960s in Oakland, California. To see that happen in 1966, that was mind-blowing. You know, I was only about, what, nine or so, ten. But it was amazing to see that kind of stuff happen. And you know, the Black Panthers were really something because they were the first group that said, not only are we going to monitor the lack of proper policing, we're going to confront them. And we're going to confront them with the uh, codes of the city, and we're going to announce out to them what they're doing wrong. And at the same time, we're going to have our guns and rifles nearby to say, hey, how about we have a little one-on-one -on -one here? <laughs> and so this was the first time the police anywhere in this country were challenged with ammunition. Mm -hmm. And back in those days, it was illegal to have a weapon concealed. It was legal to carry it out on the open. <laughs> so here you got these guys with the black berets and these afros and the black leather jackets. And they're walking around with rifles, and uh, they're quoting the city law of how many people are being illegally arrested, and then they're challenging them to shootouts. And uh, eventually, the Oakland police even said, "Don't." They told the police internally, they said, "Don't get in a shootout with these guys. They have better weapons and they're better marksmen." <laughs> so the arrests for African Americans in Oakland from '66 about to about '70 went way down. And you could walk, you could walk around Oakland. I'll show you how we used to walk. We used to walk like this. social justice, how we get social justice, just confront the very system that's robbing you of equality. And then my second oldest brother said, oh, no, no, I'm going to hate Ashbury. So he lived in San Francisco. And he was into the counterculture, the hippies. And he was into everything you can think of, of dropping out the love, love works, and all you need is love, and so on. And that left quite a pressure on me because they had a oneness that was very temporary. And they had a collective uh, kind of identity that was very unique. And I was always checking all this out. Then my third oldest brother was in Berkeley, right next to Oakland. And he was at Cal. And all they did was protest more than go to class and get arrested, get gassed, and end up in the prison without any clothes on. That kind of thing. And that was just kind of a normal thing. And so they brought all that into the living room. And I was always wondering what was going on, what's the best way to social justice and so on. And so for me, I said, okay, one of these days, I'm going to do one of what these guys are doing. I'm not sure yet. But I decided uh, to play basketball. I love basketball. And I was, got better and better at it. And so eventually, basketball was my life. I, mean, I used to eat, drink, and sleep yeah. basketball. And like most kids growing up in Oakland, our thought was, eventually, you just got to go on to the NBA. And we, we knew the Warriors, of course, 
So I was getting better and better at basketball, and eventually by eighth grade, I had become a standout in basketball and was being uh, recruited illegally by, by high school to uh, play for them, uh, private schools, De La Salle, uh, Bishop O'Dowd, De La Salle, and those other ones. And so what they wanted to do was to pay for my uh, schooling, pick me up, uh, and take me to school. And of course, I thought that sounded pretty good, one of those things uh, I was considering. But then something happened. And I, I had no realization that this was going to be. Talk about strong wind, a stormy oh, wind. Amen. Yeah, yeah. I don't believe. Yeah, oh Lord Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, I grew up Baptist and we grew up respecting the name of Jesus, but we never had any sense of Jesus in me. Right. It was always a respect and an honor. Yeah. But in, uh, at the end of my eighth grade year, here I was, the president, the valedictorian, da da da, basketball, mm. future All American, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, one of my older brothers died suddenly well, uh, from an overdose, actually, mm -hmm. of some kind of drug that he uh, was given to experiment with. And he was only 24, and I was 14. Wow. And when he died, at that point, getting straight A's, being the president of the student body, being uh, the All-American to be this and that, all of that meant nothing. It was as if the glitter of all that fell off, and I saw how empty I was. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't tell you how, at age 14, I felt like inside of me, I have the Grand Canyon. Wow. And every day that I walk around, it's getting bigger. Because when he died, I wanted to know, where did he go? He was my favorite brother. He was the funniest one. He was the best looking one. And, and there was just everything about him. And then all of a sudden, he was just gone, just, just like that. Wow. And uh, when I first heard about it, I was so shocked. I couldn't even cry. I mean, I was so shocked. And then to see my parents cry just completely brought me brought them down. And so when that happened, I just wanted to know this one thing. What is the meaning of human life? Uh, and you know, uh, Watchman Nina shared in the Messenger of the Cross that for someone to get saved, they either have to have a sense of sin or a sense of vanity. And that uh, when you're speaking with someone, you have to kind of decipher, of course, there's at least 20, 25 different categories under those umbrellas. But those are the two major senses for it. For the spirit, actually, in a sense, a sense of sin and a sense of uh, vanity, it's just the blowing of the wind, right? Mm -hmm. That we've been talking about. And so I had a sense of vanity that was eating me up. And here I was, uh, no longer happy that my parents had money, no longer happy that I had a promising high school and college career, maybe a, a chance to play for Warriors. All of that meant nothing. And I wanted to know, where did he go? Why did he go? And when am I going? And where will I be going? I really have to know this. And I felt, unless you can tell me what the meaning of life is, I believe every bit of the laughter, no one's laughter, everyone's laughter is absolutely hollow. And everyone's smile is fake. I, I said, unless someone can tell me what is the meaning of my human life, and how can a human being be there one second and gone the next, and that's it. And so, wouldn't you know it, my brother, one of my older brothers, had ran across the Jesus people. Hallelujah. And uh, hallelujah for the Jesus people. And uh, this was a kind of loose, under, outside the conformity ways of Jesus and so on. And he got saved about eight months before this time. And I always thought he was kind of funny because he said, praise the Lord. And I thought that was, you know, kind of like a What do you mean, praise the Lord? Give me something manly. Manly. But, uh, but, but you know what? All of a sudden, he said, hey, 
Billy Graham's coming to the Oakland Coliseum. Mm -hmm. Do you want to come? Yeah. And uh, of course, this is a month after my brother passed away. This was August of 1971. And I said, I sure do. I sure do. And so I remember going to that Coliseum. And of course, where the Raiders and the, and the A's play, you know, it's massive. It holds about 65, 70,000 people. And that night, there was about 25, 30,000 people. And I had to use binoculars to see the face of Billy Graham way down on the picture. <coughs> but the more he talked, the more I felt like it was only he and I talking. In other words, that cloud was coming. Yeah. yeah, the cloud was coming. And when he said the name of Jesus for the first time, it was sweet to me. It was precious. And I had never related the name of Jesus to my insides and to my bankruptcy with it. But the more he said Jesus, the more I thought, hmm. Jesus is good. You know, I just gotta have this feeling for the first time. And then when he finally said, come on down, now, you know what, I don't hardly remember what he talked about. But all I know was he made it feel like he knew exactly what I was going through. You know, and, and Brother Lee has shared through the years. Watch him. Get a tape of yeah. your uh, preaching yeah, gospel. He was Pick good. up his principles because he's yeah. very effective. Yes. And of course the, the brother himself said, For every minute that I speak, I spend at least the, the same amount of minutes on my knees. He, he fully yeah. didn't believe in himself. He fully believed in the Lord. And so he had quite a way. And so I went down to the field and I cried all the way. You know how they say, come down. They started singing, just as I just am. As I am. And, I, and I remember going down and I wept like a baby. I didn't care what people thought because I knew every step I was taking, I was shortening the distance between me and God. And I knew when I got down there, I was gonna meet God face to face. I just had the full assurance. I never even thought of that until that night. I mean, it just came. And when I got down there, they, they, there was a person there telling me how to pray. And I said, thank you. And then I walked away and I looked up to the heavens. And then all I did was just for the first time, address Jesus according to my inward name. And you know how the devil is. It made, it made me at first think this is going to be something that I can't do or this or that and kind of like a mountain to climb over. Mm -hmm. But I tell you what, I just talked to him very, very softly. And I just said, Lord Jesus, I really need you. Mm -hmm. And I believe in you. Come into me and forgive me of my many sins. As soon as I said that, he surprised me. He shot right inside. Amen. Amen. I mean, he really shot inside. Yeah. And that Grand Canyon was now overflowing and bubbling every crack and crevice. Wow. It was just amazing, instantaneously. Wow. And I felt like, sorry, brothers, in the whole world, Jesus only loved me. He only loved me. It was so precious. And I felt for the first time a load go off my shoulders that I didn't even know was there. It was unbelievable. And all I knew was, I've got to find anybody else on this planet. If they are breathing, I got to get to them. I got to tell them when I got a hold of them. And after that, the next few nights, I brought my friends and a number of folks got saved. And I thought that was just normal. Everybody just starting to get saved. But because the Lord was so real, I couldn't hold back. You know, you know, it was just a torrent that I couldn't hold back. And then I was uh, a baby left on a doorstep. Although there are seven local churches in the Bay Area, I didn't know it, and they didn't know about me. And so I never got to meet with any of the saints while I, right after getting saved. And so I, I kind of had a uh, kind of uh, in and out experience with the Lord. 
And I remember sometimes when I sensed like the Lord wasn't so real to me. Oh, and here's the thing. Listen to this. I didn't even know Jesus lived inside of me. I knew something happened inside. And I knew, you know, God was yeah. there. Yeah. But I still didn't link that to Christ living in me. There was yeah. no such a thought. Right. You know, my, my unrenewed mind. Although I had the experience. It's forgiven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really something. I, and, but then here's the thing. Every now and then at night, I would sense not so much of the Lord's presence inside. And I remember, listen to this, I would lay down and then I would tell the Lord, Lord, if you're still, if you're still real to me, would you flick on the lights? Or shake that tape. Well, I won't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course, I'm going to tell everybody. But I bargained with the Lord, you know. Could you just at least turn on the light and flick it off? I won't tell anybody. Could you at least shake the tape? I just wanted to know you're real. And of course, he didn't do that. Thankfully, um, there was some exodus or something in the house. But anyway, um, so he didn't do that. But I tell you what, I cried those nights to sleep, and I had the best peace. And I still didn't relate that to I had I actually used my spirit to contact the Lord. But I didn't understand that. And I would cry myself to sleep after talking to the Lord. But full of peace. Full of peace. All I needed was one of you shepherds to come tell me what was going on. Wow. So I had a I kind of had an in and out relationship with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And then I found a congregation. I wouldn't oh here's another thing. I could not join a denomination. It just didn't seem right according to this thing in here. Because this was so clean, this was so transparent, this was so real. And then to put on a label, I just, I just couldn't do it. So I never became a certain uh, kind of Christian. But I found a group of brothers and sisters in uh, Berkeley. And they, they called themselves Resurrection City. Resurrection mm -hmm. City. I didn't know it, but they were kind of Pentecostal. And they would do some leg lengthening and some healing and this and that. And I thought it was a little goofy. But at the end, they would always sing this song. Gee. Let me see how it goes. It goes like this. Listen. <laughs> they would sing this song. I don't know if you all heard this. It's quite sweet, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, tell, I tell you that. I would, when they would sing that. I didn't care how many legs got left. <laughs> I didn't care what kind of funny things came out of people's mouths. As long as they sang that song, I was, I was happy. Oh, yeah. And I, I would get my basketball team and shove them into my uh, Volkswagen car. Five or six guys, tall guys. I said, let's go. Because Resurrection City is tonight on Friday night in Berkeley. And at the end, hang in there because it's kind of goofy. But at the end, watch what we sing. And so that was my only way of touching the end. You know, it was really, really something. So then by my senior year, but you know, I still had some kind of fellowship, but it was just, you know, in and out. I decided to, you know, go up to Gonzaga. So I played basketball as a point guard there for four years at Gonzaga. And Santa Clara, Cal, Stanford, a number of folks were recruiting me, but Gonzaga for some reason said, we'll fly you up and listen, at Cal, at Stanford, you're just a number. But in our setting, the student-to-teacher ratio was 1 to 19. And you will know your teachers. 
and because I, I wanted to get a double major in English and criminal justice. This was my goal. And to, to become be... a lawyer and then to become president. I wanted to run. Because my thought was this. They my brothers tried all this other social justice yeah. stuff. Why don't I just move into 1600 Pennsylvania? <laughs> <laughs> so my thought was to do that. So I knew, okay, I better get a double major, I better get a 4.0, become a Rhodes Scholar, play a little basketball, make a little money for with the Warriors, because the coach told me, come back. He said, no matter where you go to play, come back. Uh, Al Adams told me, come back and you can at least try out for us. So I knew I could do that. And then maybe I could just go, you know, be president of the United States. Give me So I came to school, and listen to this, brothers. The very first week that I was on campus there, and I was, you know, I was going to start as a freshman, I was the captain in a sense, so I had a lot going on. The very first week, some brothers from the church in Spokane, because Gonzaga wow. was in the city of uh -huh. Spokane, they knocked on my dorm door. Wow. They were door knocking back in 1975. And uh, the reason they came was because they went to the other side of the dorm room, because we had two rooms and then a bathroom in between. They went to the other side of this room with a guy that they had contacted from last year. He said, oh, I'm not interested. But there's some guy that's got this Jesus poster on his wall, <laughs> all the names of Jesus. Why don't you go talk to him on the other side? And they were talking about me. And when those brothers knocked on that door, and then they looked at me, and they said, hi, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> I just felt a breeze. I said, oh, my, my. <laughs> Back. <laughs> very, very sweet. So they kept coming by. Uh, Rick Anderson has one brother. I think some of the saints you know Rick and Rennie Anderson. They're, yeah. they're oh, in yeah. the uh, yeah, yeah. Area. Yeah. Boston area. And boys, they were so sweet. And they would come to a few games. And they, they uh, tried to get me to a meeting. But I was so busy because I had a double major. And I was trying to get my claws on the offense and running that whole setting there, you know, as a freshman. Because well, we were supposed to, you know, try and get to get to the big dance. So I was very tied up. But I remember when the year was over, they didn't come back before the school was over, and I went back to the back home to Oakland. But I told my brother, who was the, the Jesus people, I said, if those guys ever come back, I don't know who they are, but if they ever knock on my door again, I'm stopping everything in my life to be there. I'm, I'm, I, there's something about that. And so uh, that summer, I was just kind of uh, wandering and couldn't wait to get back to hope. Hopefully, have them knock on my door. And do you know, my sophomore year, the very first week, guess what they did? They knocked on my door. Hey, yeah. wow. And when they knocked, I said, okay, give me the handcuffs. <laughs> Where is the meeting? Well, I'm yours. You know? And they took me to a meeting, and I tell you, I didn't know anything about me or Lee or anything, but I knew this one thing. The same God I tasted on that Billy Grand Crusade meeting was right there, flown in that. Amen. I knew I was home from the first time I stepped in. Amen. Amen. It was undeniable. The same God that I tasted, the same sweetness of the Lord I tasted, was right there and magnified. And I just, I just loved everyone. I was just so happy to see everyone. And then I said, okay, is there going to be another meeting soon? Because I got a couple of roommates. They need to come here and get saved. So two, six, seven, six, eight guys, they came and got saved. And then eventually, a few more people got saved. And by the time of the school year, middle of the school year, the whole team got saved. 
Well, except, well, except two Mormons who never did get saved <laughs> after all the three years of being there. But they, mm -hmm. we had the whole team saved. And by the end of my sophomore year, all the cheerleaders got saved. <laughs> and I actually married one, hallelujah. <laughs> We're still happily ever after. But anyway, because it's a Jesuit school, we even brought nuns to the meeting. Wow. And, uh, one of them, remember, we brought three or four to our Lord's table. You know, the saints were, Satan is a liar, Jesus is Lord. And, and uh, I, heard, I saw one of the nuns lean over and go, one thing's for sure, Satan is far away from here. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, we had a Gonzaga section in the church meeting. Let's hear from the Gonzaga section. And then we all stand up and shout. <laughs> it was quite sweet. And then we had a, uh, after every basketball game, we'd meet in my room, my dorm room, and uh, because I had a single room, and then we'd just sing like crazy. You couldn't tell who won the game. You couldn't tell how important the game was. We were just singing like crazy. And every weekend, someone was getting saved. It was like an ongoing experience that we, we didn't even know. All we knew was the Lord's too real. And what really made the difference was this. One dear brother, Doug Higgins, came after all my first few meetings. He came to my dorm room. And he, then he got out a piece of paper. And then he drew those three circles. And when he drew those three circles, that changed the direction of my life. I was a full-timer from that time on. Whether I stayed in school, whether I worked or not, I tell you, my whole being, my whole destiny, my whole insides could not believe that I have a part in me, custom designed to touch God whenever I want to, to contact God whenever I choose to. That third circle. Actually, I still have those three circles. I still have that piece of paper. And in the New Jerusalem, I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll walk around showing everyone. This is the first picture of the three parts of men. But to see that, I, it, it was, it shot through me. And then I got the brothers together and I said, let's find everywhere in the New Testament where there's a small s. And so we all got out our New Testaments and we started with Matthew. And we just went page by page. Where we can find a small s, small s. And then we said, now, let's go tell everybody on campus about the small s. <laughs> the greatest discovery of the 20th century is the human spirit of man. Yeah. So we just went everywhere. We just told everybody on campus. And it became, and then we started, uh, back then we didn't have so much electronics. So we wrote out some uh, verses on the, the spirit. You know, there's four, four verses on the, the, the two spirits, right? You all know the three, right? What's the first one? Roman 8.16, the Spirit is out there with our spirit. What's another one? John 4.24, the uh, God is Spirit, and those are words of worship Spirit. And then what's about John 3.6? That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. But then also there's 1 Corinthians 2.11. It talks about the Spirit of God knowing something, and only the Spirit of man can know those things. So we got those four verses out, and we just flooded the whole campus. And you know the campus is only about 5,500 people and they all looked up to us because we were the celebrities you know, we're the basketball players but i tell you what during practice the coach would say okay uh water break seven or eight of us would go to the middle of the gym floor and we used to go like this
Oh, Lord <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> and we just shout throughout the gym. <laughs> and the coach let us do it, so we kept doing it. <laughs> <laughs> then after practice, I put verses on the board, and we would just pray, read. He brought the team with spirit. He did. He sure did. And he <laughs> said, hey, you know, he said, as a captain, you definitely have a good understanding with your fellow. <laughs> 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 it was really something. So it was a really kind of a rich experience. And I, I would say, brothers, at a certain point, I remember at my start of my junior year, I went to the leading brothers and I said, you know, brothers, I really don't feel like I can run around here in these hot pants. And, and, and play basketball and try and outdo people. I, 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 I lost heart. I just lost heart. I'd rather be doing something. You know, there was no such thing as FTTA or anything. But I just told the brothers, I, I just don't feel like I can do this. And they wisely brought me to, to Ezekiel 47. And they said, what you're going through is a good experience. Because at first the flow was here. But now your walk is a little funny. You're not sure how you should walk because the flow has got to your lungs. Mm-hmm. And that's a good sign. That means God, he's eventually going to raise the waters up to where all you can do is swim. You know? So they said it's a good sign. But they said stay in school. It's a good good thing, but stay in school. So that, that helped me to see the flow of life was doing something inside me. And so I had a desire. You know, I, of course, I want to tell you all, I dropped the thought of being president. <laughs> I realized... Uh, by trying to be president, my thought was, you know, because I was president in junior high, I was president in high school, I could be president. Why can't I be president there? But you know what I thought? I thought at a certain point, all I would be doing is rearranging the furniture on the Titanic. Whoa. You can straighten the frame, you can straighten it, but the thing is going down. Right? And uh, I realized the lifeboat was Christ in the church. I just was fully, fully and so uh, after that, by the time I was a senior, we, you know, we had really probably about, there was probably about five or six carloads of us going to the meetings, and uh, still to this day, there's about 12 of us, 13 of us still, uh, uh, strong in the church life. Next time on Stories. So I'm playing soccer. I'm playing soccer or football out on the football field in the fall of 1977. And Scott's running backwards. And Kurt Rittenmeyer and, and Ron Amon and Scott, they're 6'8". Both of them are 6'8". Okay, yeah, yeah. So anyway, they, they, they're running forward. And Scott's going, oh, Lord. And the two big guys are going, hey, man. And then they... Scott goes, hallelujah. And then they all in unison go, Jesus. Oh my goodness, that was so weird. That was so weird. But something inside my regenerated part just was drawn to them. It was just drawn to them. And so I I, I, I went up to them and I said, hey, I, I know Jesus too. <laughs> 